Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome to season four of Talking with Traders with me, Garth McKenzie. It's been a lengthy hiatus since we completed season three of this series, so it's good to be back. Thank you to IG Markets for once again coming on board to fund and sponsor this podcast. Their involvement is hugely valuable, and we're proud to have such an award-winning CFD provider alongside us. In this season, I'll welcome back some of our most popular guests from previous seasons to get their updated views on the markets, and I'll also bring in some new guests too. I'll be asking them pertinent questions about how they trade the market and where they're seeing opportunities in the global trading and investing arena. The idea is that you, the listener, gain some valuable insight and education from these market professionals that may be of use in your own trading and investing. So with that in mind, let's get straight into this week's episode of Talking with Traders. Welcome back to another episode of Talking with Traders. And this, in fact, is the final episode of season four of Talking with Traders. Hopefully, we'll be doing a season five soon as well. But for this final episode, I am really delighted to welcome a new guest to the podcast. His name is Julius de Campana. Uh, he is the owner of RRG Research and the creator of RRG Charts, Relative Rotation Graph uh, Charts, which is something I follow very, very closely and with a lot of interest. Uh, he's also a senior analyst at stockcharts.com and he's based in Amsterdam and he's on the line now. Welcome, Julius. Thank you, Garth. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, super. I'm so glad to get you on the podcast because I followed your work uh, a lot. You know, stockcharts.com have got some very good analysts that represent them there and a couple that I, that I really enjoy following and you are one of them. And I find your work particularly unique uh, it, it really stands out from all the other analysts and the, the technicals that you do are, it's a, you've got a different approach to, to how you do things with those RRG charts. So it's, it's super to speak to you. And I'm really looking forward to getting a little bit more of an understanding about how you created them, first of all, because I think the IP there is, is brilliant. Uh, and then also how we use them. But before we get into that, Julius, let's just get a little bit of background into you uh, because you're a new guest on the podcast. Whenever I have a new guest on, I like to give them a, an opportunity, just two or three minutes to give us an introduction to yourself and a bit about your background and how you got involved in the markets and, uh, and how you got to where you are now. Wow. Two or three minutes for <laughs> like 38 years of markets. That's, uh, that's short. <laughs> um, well, I mean, really quickly, I, after high school, I went to the military academy in the Netherlands. I was trained as an Air Force officer. Um, uh, my, my war job was uh, a local air defense control officer, so I was basically shooting planes out of the sky. Wow. And my, my, um, my desk job was an economics officer. So my study on the academy was involved, involved economics and logistics. And for some reason, I got interested in the markets. I inherited a couple of shares from an uncle, and I, you know, that's how I basically got introduced to it. Um, I started to get interested in options and options theory, which was just coming up in the Netherlands at that time. And mm -hmm. uh, started studying those. That brought me to technical analysis, um, and and got more and more interested in technical analysis. Basically, self-thought um, technical analyst. 
and eventually left the Air Force to join Equity and Law, a life insurance company in the UK at the time, mm-hmm. now bought by AXA. I became a portfolio manager, still doing a lot of technicals. After that, I went to Robico, big asset manager in Rotterdam in the Netherlands, um, worked as a, uh, as a buy side analyst. And then when Rabobank bought Robico, I went to the trading floor and um, basically, at that time, I really started to learn about markets because if, if, if there's any place where you learn how markets work, then it's on the trading floor of a big bank. Um, had my stint there and started to do a lot, a lot of work on, uh, on relative strength, relative strength analysis, because I was mainly talking to institutional investors who are all about relative strength and outperforming, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, after, um, after Obico, went to a, uh, a smaller broker, uh, sorry, after Rava International, went to a smaller broker, still on the sell side. And that's where I started to develop um, uh, relative rotation graphs. I was at Kempen & Co. at the time. And uh, again, on the trading floor, getting more and more into a analytical slash sales role. And um, you got to stand out because you're competing with a lot of um, other analysts in the space, you know, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, uh, you know, you name all the big investment banks and they're all competing for the business of those institutional investors. And, um, and I needed something else. And I was doing a lot of work on relative strength. And when I was speaking to uh, all those PMs, um, basically the main question that they were asking, what are your best five stocks in that sector? What are your best five sectors? What, what is your best pick, et cetera, et cetera. And as a technical analyst, of course, the universe that you track is much bigger than your fundamental counterparts. So um, I needed to focus. I needed to bring in a focus. And what I did when I was making my calls to the clients was to prepare, you know, two, three sectors, a couple of stocks in the sectors, et cetera. And then you, yeah. you, um, you ring them up and say, hey, George, can we talk about, I don't know, materials or chemicals or whatever yeah and then uh, and then it would say like oh no 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 no. this week is technology week you know uh I'm, i've got goldman coming over with their analysts and there is a big jp morgan conference and uh we're having companies visit blah 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 what are your best five picks in technology and obviously i hadn't prepared technology so there i was with my good behavior be, not being able to make any um any pitches and um that's when i started thinking about i need to get something that puts it all in their face. And, uh, and eventually that became relative rotation graphs and how that, how that process, process uh, developed and evaluated over time. I think that's another podcast, but, uh, but that's the real short version of the story. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. So 38 years of experience su- summarized very well there. Thank you. Um, but we're here to talk about the relative rotation graph. So that's, yeah, I want to delve into that a little bit more deeply. And, yeah. and I guess, can you explain, I mean, in, in simple terms, what are RRG charts, relative rotation graph uh, yeah. charts and and, and then you know when I mean, there's four quadrants etc but maybe you can and maybe it's difficult to do it without visuals but let's try uh, and, yeah. and talk about them i was gonna say yes this is i think it's the third podcast that i'm doing and it's always funny because rrgs are so visual it's a yeah. data visualization technique and then you you're on a podcast basically describing uh, visuals, but I'll give it a try. Yeah, <laughs> um, let's imagine we're talking to a blind person, and they... yes, exactly. Yeah, 
Um, so, so basically, the uh, the canvas, the, the the blank sheet, is a is a basic scatter plot with four quadrants and the crosshairs in the middle. And on the horizontal axis, uh, we have a metric which which is called JDK RS ratio, which is a an algorithm that measures trends in relative strength. And it does that, um, I call that multiples versus multiples, because normally relative strength is measured against a benchmark or you know A versus B. Um, and then you can do that many, many times, but it's very difficult to, that the, the raw relative strength numbers, you, you can't compare them. So when you did A versus B, the numerical value that comes out of that um, does not say anything of uh, uh, C versus B or D versus B. They're all, they're all isolated. So they need to yeah. go through, <clears throat> through an algorithm to make them comparable. And what we do is we, we do multiples versus multiples. So the, um, the numbers that we get in that JDKRS ratio are uh, comparable across the universe. So high numbers are good and low numbers are bad. Mm. So, um, uh, a stock that comes out with a high number is better than a stock that comes out also with a high number, but a little bit lower than, than the first one. So that's that was my first uh, component of what eventually became RRGs. That was my ranking mechanism, basically to uh, to answer the question of those PMs, what are your best five stocks? I, that's that's what I started developing because I, I wanted to be able to answer that question. And that eventually became the RS ratio. Um, and... That worked for a while because I could I could rank a universe and say here are your best five stocks blah blah blah, <clears throat> and then um, this is all late nineties early two thousands and then in two thousand when the Nasdaq bubble um, burst Nasdaq reached five thousand and started to come down um, the RG, the algorithms is trend following we're trying to detect trends in relative strength so there are trend following components in there. So when you have a situation as, as you had with the NASDAQ in 2000 is obviously all those tax stocks were right up in the sky. They got very high valuations, very high RS ratio readings. And then all of a sudden that started to turn around very rapidly. Now, when you are trend following, you need a little bit of time to pick up that change in trend. And, um, and obviously that for some investors that didn't go too well. And, and I remember very well that I got an email from an Italian hedge fund manager um, basically writing to me, well, this time your system didn't work too well. <laughs> He's right, you know, because uh, I, I saw that. So that for me was a signal. I need, I, need, I need some sort of an early warning system. I need some sort of a metric that gives me a little bit of a heads up that something's coming. Um, and in technical analysis, when you think about that type of work, you, you immediately arrive at, at momentum rate of change, momentum, all that kind of stuff. They, right. These are leading indicators. Mm. Um, so I started playing around with that and um, obviously ran into exactly the same problems as I ran into with the raw relative strength. Uh, not comparable numbers, couldn't do anything with it, couldn't use it across the universe. Um, so I started running them through the same type of algorithm that we had for the JDK-RS ratio and that works out. So that eventually became the JDK-RS momentum which is a, um, a metric of relative momentum for those universes that you can compare across a universe. Right. At that time, I had two metrics. I had the, the RS ratio, I had the RS momentum. And I, I, 
you, you got, don't have to make it more fancy than it is because basically it was me sitting on a trading desk, putting together a report, having my Excel spreadsheet in which I made all those calculations. And it was one of those spreadsheets that I was the only one that could read it mm. um, because <laughs> it was, you know, full where you got to change that cell there. And then every, so, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I did that. And then I copy pasted that table into my research reports and, and, you know, said, Hey, this is good. And this is bad. And, and, Look at the momentum because that's now starting to rise, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <clears throat> and that lasted for a while. And at some stage, I found myself basically playing around in Excel, trying to find ways of, um, you know, because we're technical analysts, so you have that that metric, that line, that number, but you want to see history. So I started plotting it on graphs, like two indicators, which yes. are now the RRG lines, which are on stock charts and, and basically every platform that that has RRGs. Yes. Um, and for some reason, I was playing around with various chart formats and layouts, and I hit on that scatter plot, and I, you know, it comes up, and I, I looked at it, and said, like, "What's that?" So, what am I actually looking at? And I, you know, started studying, and I said, like, "Oh, that's interesting." All right, so that's cool. So that immediately gave me a sense of, hey, that's cool. That's, 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 that stuff is good. That stuff is bad. And you know, you, you, when you start doing it every day, you can see that rotational character because at that time it was still a single dot for every yes. security for every period. Mm. And um, so I started to, uh, to print that in my reports, print, print that little graph in my reports. And, um, uh, and it was, <clears throat> if you, you're, you're, you read stock charts. So, you know, mm. Dave Geller. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. So uh, Dave Keller and I go back a long time. And um, at some stage, Dave was um, after Bloomberg. He was a um, he was the head of technical research at Fidelity in Boston. Right. And he got my research. And, um, you know, when you send research to those guys, every time you make a call, et cetera, et cetera. So at some stage, um, I'm on the phone with Dave uh, talking about my report, talking about that. It wasn't called an RRG at that time. Mm. Um, so about that that plot, and and then he, he told me he said, you know what, we 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 always we print that last page of your report. I said, why are you doing that? He said, well, if you've got a stack of papers, and now you, listeners really need to visualize this now. And I can imagine that you, you've all been in high school, you all had your notebooks, and when the teacher was really boring, you started to draw little um, images of uh, um, puppets or or um, a little man, you know, like the, mm. the, the little head with the, with the, and then on the next page, you would draw the same man with the arms. And then when you <laughs> did that for all thing and you did that, yeah. you know, the, the little man would start to walk across the bottom of your notebook. Right, yes. And that's and that's what he did with, with those RRG pages. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's interesting. So then I started to uh, to actually uh, add a tail, you know, because you could then actually see. So so I programmed that again in my spaghetti VBA put together Excel sheet, and we were able to uh, to visualize the tail, so the, the rotation. And then all of a sudden, it started to 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 become really visual and rotational, mm. and it was rotating around the center of the chart, and the center of the chart is the benchmark. So that's how. Basically, sector rotation came to life, at least for me. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if I also just, I guess, again, trying to explain it uh, through audio, but if, if listeners can kind of visualize this, 
the, the, the four quadrants, as you say, there's there's four of them. Um, yeah. And and yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the typical path that your these charts go is they, they tend to move more mostly clockwise from what I've seen. And yeah. if you yeah. think about it, if, if listeners just kind of visualize this, the top left quadrant is called the improving quadrant. The top right is called the leading quadrant. Then the bottom right is called a weakening quadrant. And the bottom left is the lagging quadrant. And what typically seems to happen, as you, as you say, you, you plot these things over a number of days or a number of weeks, I guess, depending on the, whether it's weekly or daily charts. But you'll find that as you, exactly as you say, you, you, you can almost create a, it's like a moving chart, a moving relative chart with the tail, as you say. And you yeah. can see how these sectors or the, whatever you're comparing it will move from, for example, a, a weakening quadrant to a lagging to and then improving uh, to leading and then weakening again. And they tend to follow this what mostly is, uh, well, in my observations, is mostly a clockwise kind of a yeah. pattern. Yeah. What, what, what yeah. I really like about it is, you know, I do relative strength um, comparisons of sectors and of stocks in sectors, et cetera. But it's always just a screenshot at any given time. So I can look, you know, and say, well, in, at right now, you know, we can see that the defensive sectors are, are, are outperforming and the offensive sectors like tech and uh, consumer discretionary and stuff like that is, is underperforming. And that's a screenshot. What your relative rotation graphs do is they show how this has changed over a period of time. And yeah. that's what, that's the power of it. It's just that much more powerful than looking at a simple, relative strength screenshot at one moment in time. Yes, and, and also um, I think what the real big benefit is, is that it gives you uh, a high level overview of the entire universe. Normally yes. relative strength is is a one-on-one -on -one comparison and you can do <clears throat> you can do a lot of comparisons, but you still have to flip through a ton of charts. Yes. And, um, and an RRG will give you uh, in one, we, we say um, uh, we'll give you the big picture in one picture. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that's exactly what it is. It gives you the, the rotational character and the current positioning and the direction of the rotation in one image. Yes, yes. To, to get, yeah, to get back to, your, to the quadrants real quickly, you, you already labeled them. Um, so what's, what ends up in the top right in the leading quadrant are the securities that, have, that are in a relative uptrend and that uptrend is still being pushed higher by strong momentum. Yes. Now, momentum is leading. So the first thing that will happen is that your momentum will fade and turn around. Yes. At that time, it drops into the weakening quadrant. What mm -hmm. you'll find there are securities that are still in a relative uptrend, but they are losing momentum, relative momentum. Right. And if that loss of momentum continues, it'll eventually move into the lagging quadrant. And you, what you find there are securities that are in a relative downtrend, and that downtrend is still being pushed further down by weak momentum. Mm. And again, momentum is leading, so the first thing that will happen is that momentum will start to pick up. That's when the security is pushed into the improving quadrant. Uh, the securities that you find there are in a still in a relative downtrend, but that downtrend is fading and getting less, and if that improvement continues, you will eventually rotate back into the leading quadrant and that's a full rotation. Yes. So the way I'm thinking about this now and just you know thinking aloud is that often one basic, I suppose, first level technical analysis and those who understand a bit of technicals will understand the power of, of negative divergence or positive divergence where you've got a momentum indicator, let's say an RSI or a stochastic, and you've got a price 
price chart. And when the, the two start to diverge, um, you know, in, in other words, for example, if you've got a price that's moving higher, but your momentum indicator is making lower highs, that's negative divergence. That is an early warning that yes. the momentum of that stock is beginning to slow. So although it's still going up, its momentum is beginning to slow. And that's like an early warning that you might get a trend change. Now, if I'm thinking correctly, what you're saying here is that it's essentially measuring that, but for the relatives of the of the various different things that you're comparing against. So, like you say, you you know, you might still have relative strength, but that relative strength momentum is slowing down or it's speeding up, and it's kind of giving you, as you said, an, an early warning. It's like a leading indicator of yep. of what's to come on on, on the sectors. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. All right. One one question is when you do these. Uh, RRG or well, the charts, what is the constant that you're looking at? I mean, it, and, and I know that you do these RRG charts for various things. So you do them for sectors and you do them for asset classes. And I've seen you also do it for stocks within sectors. Um, but what is this? What is the constant? I mean, if you're looking, for example, at the US sectors, there's 11 major sectors in the US. Uh, are you measuring then against the S&P 500 or, or what is the constant? Yeah, the benchmark, I call it. Um, is uh, for for those sectors is the S and P five hundred, but it can really be anything. I call you know the group that's plotted. I call that universes. Right. And you can pick. I mean, the the technology will show you anything you throw at it. Um. So so it's garbage in, garbage out. You right. Need to make sure that you have a, a, a good comparison, something that makes sense. Mm. So for the 11 S&P sectors, it's totally normal and, and the good thing to do to uh, to plot it against the S&P 500 index. Yes. Um, uh, you can do, for example, if you take the the, the 30 Dow stocks, um, you plot that against the Dow Jones Industrials Index. Yes. So you, you, you uh, get the rotation of those individual stocks versus the Dow Jones. Um, as you said, you can take say all technology stocks and plot them, I would plot them against the technology sector index. Um, You could plot them against the S&P 500. Nothing wrong with that. But, um, and here comes another thing that you need to visualize in your head. So um, when, when the technology sector is doing really good and you take the individual technology stocks and you plot them against the S&P 500, where do you think all those stocks will end up or the majority of those stocks will end up? Inside the leading quadrant because the whole sector is doing good. Yes. And for, um, for an analyst or an investor, um, you want to find the best stocks in that technology sector. And in order to do that, you need to compare those stocks to the technology sector itself. And then you will see that the universe will be more spread out. The strong stuff will uh, will end up inside the leading quadrant or inside improving, moving towards leading. And the weak stuff will end up in the lagging quadrant. So by doing that, basically using a pyramid approach, top-down approach, um, technology is doing good, but now we need to find the stocks that are really, that are outperforming the technology index. Um, so then we find the best stocks in the best sector. So that's how you can do it. Yeah. Um, I use it for asset classes, for example. Well, that, that, yeah, I mean, that was going to be my next question because I've seen you doing it on, on asset classes as well. And that's yeah. a bit more tricky because it's, it's all very well when you're looking at an equity market like the S&P 500 and the sectors. It's kind of like yes. a closed, you know, it's a, an, an enclosed universe. And, and same yes. when you're doing the Dow Jones versus the 30 Dow stocks. Exactly. Exactly. But now yeah. when you're talking asset classes, now you're talking 
equities and bonds and currencies yes. and commodities and maybe cryptos. Um, so, you know, there are, th- what is the constant in that case? You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG, a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes. Um, I, I've on, on stock charts in my blogs and in my show, I primarily use um, an ETF that's called VBINX. That's a Vanguard Balanced Index Fund. And that okay. takes the performance, it's 60% equities and 40% bonds. And the bonds are aggregates. So it's a combination of government bonds, corporate bonds, high yields. <clears throat> um, having said that, for example, commodities are not in that index. Um, right. So um, I... You already said enclosed universes. So, mm. you know, when you have 11 sectors as a P, that's a closed universe. Mm. Everything that's in the index is on the plot. Yes. When, you, when you talk about the asset allocation as we're doing now, um, what it means is that I call that an open universe because there are more, there, there are securities on the plot that are not in the benchmark. Yes. Um, all oh, right. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I was looking. I was looking at the timer. <laughs> that's, what it's, it's, uh, that's fine. That's um, fair, so, yeah. uh, so no, no, no. Okay. So, um, so that's an, an open universe. So there's more. There's more on the plot than there is in the uh, in the benchmark, and that's all fine, um, as long as you realize it. And um, VBINX is a sixty forty portfolio. Is a portfolio that is often used by uh, RIAs, by investment advisors, as a benchmark for um, a retail investor. Or, and it helps you to um, to do your asset allocation to uh, to say, hey, we need overweight equities, underweight bonds, overweight commodities, etc. But VBNX is one. Um, there are there is technology. I mean, Optima.com is one of our technology partners. They have a very extensive uh, implementation of RRG, and they have the ability <clears throat> to set. Uh, the bench to to take everything that's on the RRG plot and make an equal weight index out of that and use that as the plot. So you immediately have uh, an equal weight index of every security that is on your plot, and that that also works very well. Okay, yeah, I can imagine. And then and then as you say, you can kind of create your own closed universe. Exactly. By by, yes. by manufacturing an index. Yeah. Yes. The okay. only thing that you really need to be careful with, uh, and I said, you know, apples and apples and oranges and oranges, is mm. when you start doing asset allocation type stuff and you bring in bonds, then um, what you need to bring in are total return indexes for those bonds. Okay. I mean, if you, if you, if you throw a yield at an RRG and you compare yields with, with the S&P 500 or whatever mm. stock index you're using, obviously you get very weird results. Yeah, of course, because the yield and the price move inversely. So exactly. you, you need so, to be looking yeah. at the price and, of the and, bond. Yeah. And the return, uh, the yield on the bonds is a very important component of the return for bonds. Mm. Um, so, so total return bond indexes when you do asset allocation type stuff. So, so Julius, this was all very interesting, and I, I, I guess you know I use 
as I said, relative charts for background checks uh, in terms of looking for the strongest areas of the markets to look at or the weakest areas. And that's where your RRG charts come in so so useful. But then, you know, the way I typically trade, because I'm more of a directional trader, is that I will then take the relative strength stuff and, and effectively filter out you know, strongest sectors and then strongest stocks within the strongest sectors and then weakest sectors and weakest stocks within weakest sectors. And from there, I've almost, you know, created buckets of strong stocks and weak stocks. And then after that, I do more intricate technical analysis or the more traditional technical analysis where you start looking at trend lines and patterns and breakouts and all, all that kind of thing. In your own trading, is that also how you use these RRG charts? Is it a is it purely a background filter to get you started, or do you actually use it purely to put on you know long shorts and relative pair trades and that sort of thing? I know. <laughs> I think you you pretty much nailed it. Um, I would never use an RRG as a standalone tool. Um, I think RRGs are great. Use them all the time, but eventually it comes down to price, and that's what you trade. So RRGs are, are very helpful and a very quick way to find pockets of strength and weakness in the markets. Mm. But at the end of the day, you, you do need to look <clears throat> at the individual charts. And as you say, look at your trend lines, chart formations, uh, maybe throw in an RSI or a MACD for divergence or whatever mm. your trading style is. Maybe you look at Elliott Wave. I don't know. There's so many, yeah. so many different ways of analyzing markets. Yeah. Um, so yes, I start uh, with RRGs at a very high level, try to find interesting sectors, try to find interesting stocks in those sectors, um, create buckets, pockets, groups of strong and weak stuff, and um, and take it from there. Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess so. I and mean, if we had to sort of make a comparison, it's like if you you know if you're going to fly a kite, you want to look at which direction the wind is blowing before you set your kite up into the sky. And that's kind of what we're doing here, right? We're looking at which direction the wind is blowing for the various different areas of the market before we then start to get more intricate and try and play in that area of the market. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now I know uh, that you you you've got a relationship with CMC Markets, and we we're free to talk about that on this podcast, even though it is sponsored by IG. Um, IG are very mature about this, and they're happy for us to mention other competitors and basically to grow the the knowledge of the listenership, I guess. So you said to me that you do have a, a facility available where you actually have share baskets that are available on CMC <laughs> markets that are developed from these RRG charts that you that you yeah. do. Yeah, um, they're called RRG Momentum Plus, <clears throat> and they are there for various universes, um, UK, US, US growth, um, we've got uh, seven in total. And um, they, are, they are based on RRG uh, and, and basic technical analysis. So what we, what we basically do is every quarter, we look at that universe, we find stocks that are in, um, in an uptrend themselves, just no relative strength, just in an uptrend. Yeah. Then we look for using RRG technology for the strongest. And um, they, what we mean by strongest is the ones that are moving. Um, I got to explain this. We, we look at the RRG heading between zero and 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, RRG heading is when you look at the tail, you look at the previous observation, and the current observation, 
And imagine having a compass with the center of the compass on the previous observation. <clears throat> and then you draw a line from the, from the center of the compass through the last observation. And that angle is RRG heading. So when that is be between zero and 90 degrees, it means that that security is gaining on both axes. It's gaining in relative strength. It's gaining in relative momentum. And that's what you want to see. Right. So then we have stocks that are uh, have strong RRG heading. They are <clears throat> in an uptrend based on price. And then we use um, RS ratio as the most important factor to rank that basket. And if there are more than 10 candidates, which almost all the time is the case, mm. um, we, uh, we top it off at uh, number 10. So the top 10 stocks go into the basket and they remain there until the end of the quarter. And then we'll repeat the whole exercise. Okay. So, and, okay, so it rebalances quarterly. And, yes. and, and then the next question, I guess, from that is, it, it's all very well. You've talked about the strong stocks or the strong, you know, you've picked the strongest 10, which is brilliant. Is it a purely then a long only strategy or do yes. you then go short against the, with the weaker stuff? No, we, we don't do that. The, the share basket is long only, <clears throat> but I've explained um, in, in uh, podcasts and presentations for CMC users that you can use this to play market neutral stuff. So, mm. When you, take, when you take a momentum plus basket, it's designed to outperform the market. I've got to be honest, it doesn't always work, you know, right. theory and practice kind of stuff. Yeah. Over time, they generally outperform. So um, basically, I advise everybody to just look at that basket of stocks. And if there's something, something happened during the quarter, because three months is pretty long, um, you can obviously uh, play against that. So you could, you could buy the basket. And, uh, and sell the S&P or buy the S&P and sell the basket if you think that the, uh, the momentum is turning around and these stocks mm -hmm. are going down. So, so it gives you um, a high momentum group of stocks within the universe and you, you can play that long and short. So you can sell those baskets short as well, trying to, um, to extract the alpha between the, the momentum plus basket and the index that is based on. Or you could play individual stocks because you can trade those C those stocks cfd mm. uh, trade individual stocks in and out of that basket against that basket so there's plenty of ways to use that tool yes i've seen tom barley doing this so he's also a strategist at, at stockcharts.com whose yeah. work i think is brilliant and i'd love to get him, him. him. he's a great guy great guy and his and his analysis is just superb and uh, i'd love to get him on the podcast as well but i've seen him uh, you know doing something very similar possibly he's actually using your rrg charts to do this he, he does yeah where he's <laughs> creating a, a quarterly basket he does it with um yeah various different sectors yeah. etfs and stocks and so on exactly um, yeah. and he's had incredible success with that by effectively just making sure you've got the wind at your back, get the direction of the sector right and yep. make sure you're invested in the strongest stuff for the quarter. And, you know, the outperformance that he's managed to achieve with that is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Um, to, to that point, because now we're going down a rabbit hole, but I'm finding this so interesting to listen to. Once you've done that, you've identified your 10 stocks for the quarter. Do you just leave it and then leave it until the end of the quarter and then rebalance? Or do you then actually apply risk management to each individual stock holding no, within no, that basket? No, that's what it is. It is what yeah, it is. So, so if, 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 if one of them comes out with some you know, crazy left field and, and one of the stocks in the 10 yeah, crashes, then you're exposed. Yeah. 
exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, but it it's is, a, it it's is. a pretty risky strategy because 10 stocks in these universes is a pretty small base, but it's pretty aggressive and it's designed for traders. So you got to get something that moves. Yes. Um, so um, as long as you know what you're doing and as long as you know the theory and the rationale behind the baskets, then mm. yeah, by all means, go out and use it. Yeah, and, and as you say, I mean, look, ten. It's it is quite concentrated, I guess, if the, if each stock is ten percent of the portfolio. But then again, that's also fairly diversified. You know, if yeah. the worst that can happen is one of the stocks goes to zero, which is unlikely. But uh, yeah, you're in the, you're, yeah, you're in the strongest areas of the market. So by yeah. that very nature, you've got the wind at your back. You've got a, a high probability of being of being okay, if exactly. uh, if nothing else. It's very very interesting, Julius. Let's quickly talk a little bit about the current market setup right now. So we're recording this sort of the 12th of May today. So, um, you know, as much as what we've spoken about so far is kind of evergreen content, which is, is fantastic to refer back to. We are sitting in a really interesting time in the market at the moment where right now the, the growth stuff is collapsing. Crypto market is collapsing today as we speak. Um, I've watched your, your stock charts TV um sector your what do you call it sector spotlight, sector, sector this week. spotlight yes. that was the 126th edition of sector spotlight that you did this week and for listeners right. out there it, it's well worth watching this it's it's really really very interesting from a for a background perspective to watch julius's sector spotlight videos each week um <clears throat> i mean right now we're it's all the defensive sectors that seem to be holding up better and all the offensive stuff all the growth things that have led the bull market prior to this all seem to be falling in a heap, right? Yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> well, I mean, on RRGs, quite a while ago, we already saw that defensive sectors were um, started floating on top. Um, they were moving from lagging into improving, started heading towards uh, the leading quadrant. Um, while the market was still going up, while the market, the S&P was still going up. And that was an interesting situation because usually when the market goes up, you'll have the, um, the offensive, the cyclical stuff that's driving the market. Mm. And we came into a situation where um, discretionary and um, technology uh, started to, to taper off, started to roll over, didn't do much. Um, and the market was still going higher. SP was still going higher. And it was all driven by, uh, by utilities, by staples, and by healthcare, <clears throat> to a lesser extent, uh, materials. And that, was, that, that basically was a red flag for me. It was sort of an alert. Like, hey, this is not, not normal. Mm. Um, so something you need to pay attention to. Started to, uh, to write some articles about you know, potential danger under the hood. Um, I brought in some uh, some breath measures where you could see that the um, the breadth of the market was getting narrower. Uh, the, uh, the 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 rise of the S and P was based on less stocks. Uh, there were less new highs, so there was a, there were a lot of stuff going on under the hood, mm. um, which was kind of worrisome. And, and and we're seeing the uh, the fallout and the results of that right now. Um, and what I, what I mentioned in my last show is that where we had the situation that the defensive sectors were leading the market while the offensive stuff was still kind of in limbo, what you see now is that the offensive stuff, the growth stuff, so discretionary technology financials, <clears throat> are now moving into the lagging quadrant and, and diving deeper into it. So they're yeah. now adding to the weakness. So it's mm -hmm. not only that the, the up move in the market was based on 
defensive stocks, now you also see growth um, going down rapidly. And so, so you've got now um, both legs of the market working um, for weakness. Well, I was going to say yeah. in favor of weakness, but that's a bit of a weird combination of words, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But the other point that you, that you raised very validly this week was that you know, the areas that are outperforming at the moment and still in general uptrends, which is energy, uh, utilities, mm. and uh, consumer staples, Yes. And health healthcare, not really anymore, but it was. Um, yeah. But those are, 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 in terms of their weighting, they make up a very small component of the yes. S&P 500. Yes. And then the stuff that's really suffering at the moment, so technology, uh, consumer, discretionary, industrials, financials, all of those sectors, are they're the heavyweights. And that's yes. the stuff that's breaking down and it's really looking pretty pretty worrisome actually from the way I look at technicals. A lot of those charts just in their own absolute right are breaking down below big support levels. But then obviously, as you've said, the relative rotation is showing significant weakness and significant underperformance in in those sectors of the market as well. And that is the biggest area. That's where the real weighting of the S&P 500 sits. Yeah, absolutely. It's about 50%. Uh, Tech is 27 and then discretionary and financials are both like I think 11 and 13%, mm. but together that's about 50%. Um, so with, with 50% of the market capitalization underperforming the benchmark, uh, that basically that's dragging the benchmark down. That's, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it makes it very hard to see a new rally emerging anytime soon. A new meaningful rally, I've got to say. Yeah, I mean, yeah, any any rally, and there will be bounces. There always are. Right. And often of bear, bear market bounces can be quite violent when they happen. But as you yes. say, it's, it's likely to be a counter-trend rally within an overall bearish environment. That's right. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, you, you said that you spotted this earlier on and absolutely spot on. I mean, I, I follow your work, as I said, and you, you did for a number of months ago already. You were already starting to wave the red flag and just say, you know, <laughs> the health of this market is looking like it's deteriorating. There is evidence that things are not as they should be and that you will need to be very careful because this bull market is mature and there's signs that it's about to fall over, it yeah. looks like. So, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's actually it's quite funny. There's, there's one, there's one, I think it was a, a sector spotlight show, which, which I titled, um, It's Not Over Yet for Slumping Spy. And of course, that was right at when, when the market started to bounce back. <laughs> got some, on YouTube, everybody can comment. So I got some comments about epic failure and the most incorrect analysis ever. And uh, you know. I'm so very tempted to reply, <laughs> but I'm just not going to go to that level. <laughs> you, you know, the, 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 unfortunately, there's so much um, you know, a toxic commentary on these social media platforms guys like yourself and also myself that are you know putting out content and actually doing the hard work just got you got to let it go off your back like water water (laughs) off a duck's back and uh you know i always say to myself the the, those that sit in the cheap seats shout the loudest (laughs) (laughs) gotta remember that (laughs) (laughs) so that's what it is you know it's like a like a football or a, a rugby match you know there's always those guys sitting at the back of the stadium, you know, shouting the odds as if they know better. Yeah, yeah. When when there's you know thirty players on the field, the guys that actually are doing the work and trying their best. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It's it's actually it triggers me because I, I when I read, I'm not sure about you, but when I read, I thought, would that be right? I got to go back and I I just look at it. It's, what did I miss? It's like no, no, no. It's still I, it's what I see. You know, so in some way it's sort of and you know it triggers me. It's like. So why would someone say that? And 
I go back, do my homework. Is, did I did I miss something? Is there something wrong? And I'm like, oh, so you got a little bit nervous. <laughs> At the end of the day, you're okay. It's it's often some yeah. faceless entity on a social media platform. You just yeah, gotta, but still, gotta, I, I got to let it go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Julius, yeah, we, we're pretty much running out of time now, but I've really enjoyed speaking to you. I found this very interesting and your, your, the whole approach that you have to market is very interesting. And I thoroughly enjoy watching your videos every week. Um, for listeners of this podcast, I can highly recommend following Julius's work, but maybe for, from yourself, Julius, where can listeners follow you uh, so that they can keep an eye on the great work that you're doing? Um, well, the most regular is stockcharts.com. That's where I write a blog on the RRG blog. And I have a weekly show called Sector Spotlight, where we talk about RRGs, but also about technical analysis in general, focusing on sectors uh, and asset allocation. Um, I am active on Twitter, not super active, but the handle is at RRG Research. There's a Facebook page uh, for RG Research, and I'm also on LinkedIn with a company page. And then we've got the website, relativerotationgraphs.com, which is getting kind of old, and we're working on a new version, but that's taking a lot longer than I wanted to. But you know, keep an eye on that if you want to. And um, you know, other than that, just um, yeah, as I said, those resources uh, are are very useful. The RRG charts themselves, they are on the Bloomberg terminal. They are on Thomson Reuters or uh, Refinitiv, I should say, uh, Icon terminals, stock charts, optima.com. And um, we recently have a, um, an agreement with State Street. So if you go to the State Street website and look for um, uh, RRGs for their sector universes, and if there's someone in Japan, in Hong Kong, then the Hong Kong Economic Journal runs RRGs for. Uh, EJFQ, which is a uh, which is their investment portal uh, of the Hong Kong Economic Journal, but you got to read Chinese for that. Okay, <laughs> I don't think we've got too many Chinese listeners listening no, to this podcast. So either, but they're there if you want to. All right, fantastic. Well, Julius, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time today. It's it's very valuable. And um, listeners to this podcast really are in for a treat. And as I've said a couple of times already, if you are a listener, you know I think it's important to follow Julius's work because it's different to the typical bog standard technical analysis that you see being done by so many other people. It's much more in-depth and the way that these RRG charts can be applied to enrich your experience as a trader is, is immense. So definitely check it out. Thanks, Julius. Thank you very much, Garrett. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.